Hi, and welcome to the NSGU podcast, Union Matters. My name's Mary, and I'm going to be your host today. Today, I'm really excited to have with me the president of NAPCHI, which is the National Union of Government... Public in general. Public in general. Employees, right. It just went blank. I did know. I just, I always say NAPCHI or NAPCHI. It all works. (laughs) Yeah, it does. So, um, yeah, I have Larry Brown with me, who is just starting his second term as president. So welcome, Larry. Oh, thank you very much. Thanks for having me. So would you mind telling us a little bit about who you are? Okay, well, let me let me place myself in the National Union family first. Uh, the National Union is NSGU and the equivalence of NSGU right across the country. So we have members in the BC Government and Service Employees Union, and we have members in the Newfoundland Association of Public Employees, and pretty much ever in between except Quebec. So collectively, we're the fir- for, uh, second uh, largest union in Canada with 400,000 members, which is pretty large. So NSGU is part of a big family of unions. And that if we do that right, that means that uh, NSGU doesn't have to face its own issues by itself because we can bring to bear the experiences and the strengths of other like unions across the country. Uh, I was the uh, privileged to be the secretary treasurer of the National Union for a number of years, and then when the president stepped down, I uh, moved into the position of president, and as you say, he just got reelected, which beats the alternative. <laughs> it does. Um, I'm very happy for you because I've only heard good things about oh, the work you're doing. I know you have nice. a really close relationship with our president, Jason McLean, and our first vice president, Sandra. They sit on the uh, national board, don't they? They sit on the national board and they don't just sit there. They play a very active and very positive role. So I'm, I'm really impressed with both of them. You have good leadership here in Nova Scotia, for sure. So how did you get involved? I'm just curious. How did you get involved in the labor movement? Well, actually, uh, it was a bit of an indirect route because most people get involved when they're uh, at a workplace and they kind of work their way up. And I kind of came in from the side. I was I graduated uh, in university in Saskatchewan, which is my home province. And the government changed, uh, and th- there was a new NDP government that was going to do some good things on labor laws. So they asked me if I would join the Department of Labor. And I did, and stayed there for a few years, and then was asked to join the Federation of Labor in Saskatchewan. So I stayed there. I was a, the, the senior person in the Federation of Labor for a few years, and then... I, I haven't applied for jobs very often. I've been headhunted. The Saskatchewan Government Employees Union, the equivalent of NSU in, in Saskatchewan, they asked me to come on board as their chief executive officer. And so I did that for a number of years and then got elected as secretary treasurer of the National Union. And I've been in one role or the other with the National ever since. So you've seen both sides of of it, both from the government perspective and then from the union side as well? Fairly briefly from the government, and and I have to say it was atypical because this was a government that was elected a progressive government after years of a a not progressive government. So there was a whole bunch of very progressive changes introduced all all at the same time, and uh, I was able to be part of that, including uh, the first occupational health program in Canada that we set up. And uh, I actually wrote the first right to refuse unusually dangerous work. I wrote the first draft of it. So I'm kind of proud of that. Oh, I absolutely. You should be proud of that. I mean, I think that is something that more of our members need to know that they do have the right to refuse unsafe work. Um, I think, you know, there's 
so many unsafe workplaces out there. I know violence in the workplace is increasing. So having people have that knowledge that they don't have to, you know, that they shouldn't be putting themselves in danger when they go to work is so important. So thanks. <laughs> yeah, well, you're welcome. And, and the, the surprising thing now, after it's been in place for a number of years, is that before we passed that law, uh, it was very unclear. And uh, employees could and did lose their jobs because the employer said, you either do that or I'm going to fire you. And if the person said, I think that's too dangerous to do, that didn't really count. And the unfortunate thing about that is in a union environment, I think we have the power to follow through on that. For non-union workers, the law says they have that right, but it's a lot more precarious. And so union protection is important even in that kind of exercising that kind of right. No, I think it's so important. And I think it's important that we push back um, on things like the Westray law, which yeah. I'm sure many of the people listening are very familiar with the Westray disaster. And out of that came a law where employers, if it's unsafe, they should be charged criminally. But the fact of the matter is nobody has actually been, um, has gone to jail. And they should be. And that needs to be worked on and changed, I think. Absolutely. It's criminal law, which is good because it covers the whole country. But as you say, the implementation of it is still... We need to be more forceful on that, I think. The, the, the notion that working people are at the disposal of the employer is really an antiquated notion, but it takes a long time to get rid of the last vestiges of that. It's still too often that the employer is almighty and the employee's job is to say, yes, sir, no, sir, how high, sir. Yeah, exactly. So what are some of the big things that the National Union are working on? What are some of the big issues that you're you know, really focusing on? Well, uh, there's uh, quite a number at this point, unfortunately. It would be easier if there was only two or three. <laughs> it seems but, like they're just building and building, doesn't yeah. it? One of the things that we found that really is an important underpinning of the work we do is that it's, it's very rare for a, an individual province in Canada to have a particular kind of problem that doesn't show up somewhere else. And just let me give you an easy example. Not that long ago, you had the wage control legislation of zero, zero, uh, three quarters and one and a half, I think it was. Within about a week, that exact same legislation pattern showed up in Manitoba. And so we're very aware of the fact that if a government in Canada does something that's negative towards its workforce, that we've got to be aware that there's no borders that are high enough to keep that within that province. We've had that experience over and over again. There was years and years ago, there was a government that said, we're going to save money by forcing all public sector workers to take every second Friday off without pay. And that leapt from Manitoba to Newfoundland within, I think it was a week. So the the idea that somehow Nova Scotia has problems that are not going to be, you know, at least we don't have to worry about what's going on in Ontario or or. BC, that's never true. The the bad experiences transcend borders very quickly. So we are, in many senses, all in this together. So we're dealing with uh, austerity programs, we're dealing with cuts, we're dealing with very right-wing governments at province after province. But then we're also dealing with a number of things that sort of flow out of that in a sense. Um, We're dealing with uh, a climate crisis, which affects all of our members. But it also affects a number of our members who are on the front lines of climate crisis. Um, if you look at a, at a storm, a windstorm or a flood, there's a number of people who are leaving that, that place and a smaller number that are going to it. 
and the smaller number that are going to it, some of those are our members. They're going to the front lines to help out and to EMS and healthcare workers and so on. So climate change is a, is a big issue. The climate crisis is a big issue. Um, we're talking increasingly now about the fact that our members who have better than average jobs, they're not great, but they're better than non-union work, uh, they still can't afford a place to live. They can't afford housing. They can't afford to even rent in many cities. So that, that's an issue for us. That's uh, a big issue here in Halifax. There's, I think the occupancy rates are under 2%. It, it's 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 really yeah. hard. And there's a crisis in affordable housing. It's been in the media every day. It's, it's we are in a crisis and we don't have affordable housing. I mean, if you are trying to live on... You know, and a lot of these, it affects our members because even if we, you know, myself, I can afford to pay my mortgage, struggling sometimes, but I know some of our members, the people that they're working day to day, you know, struggling to help their clients find housing and they just can't afford it and they can't find it. And people are ending up on the streets. And there's something, you know, people have been kind of calling renovictions. So they basically Mm -hmm. kick everybody out of the apartment building, renovate it, and then the rents get jacked up. Yeah, it's it's a bigger crisis, I think, than we understood uh, up until a few months ago. We knew that buying a house was getting to be impossible for a a whole cadre of people across the country, working or not. Uh, the idea that people could sort of grow up and move to the city and buy a house uh, or stay in their same city and even buy a house with their parents' help, even that's not possible anymore in so many cities. But it's not in Halifax. It's in Vancouver. It's in Toronto. It's in Winnipeg. It's in pretty much everywhere you look. It's the same problem, different degrees. But what we found out more recently is that it, it doesn't just, it's not just about buying a house. If you don't have enough money to buy a house then you have to rent. And mm-hmm. we found out increasingly that our members can't even afford rent. No, it's, 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 it is astounding to me how much rent has gone up in, since I've been a renter. And just talking to people, it's, I don't know how people do it. I well, really don't. It's in some cases, they, In some cases, they actually don't. Uh, what, what people do increasingly, and I'm sure it's the same here, is that they have a long commute to get to work, because the further out from the city center, the relatively less expensive. But that means that your lifestyle is a mess because you're, you're not only working a seven or eight hour day, you're working an hour to get there or an hour to get home, hour and a half in, many, in Vancouver, an hour and a half is not that rare anymore of travel time. Uh, on top of that, you get people living in very unsatisfactory uh, conditions. Uh, you know, um, uh, rental housing can be overcrowded and, and not well-maintained and all of the things that people put up with. We are a very wealthy country. The wealth is not shared equally enough, but there is a ton of money in Canada. Canada is 20... Uh, in, in the last 20 years, we're about double the size of our economy. And yet people are not sharing in the accumulated wealth of the country anymore, not well enough. And we got income problems, we've got housing problems, we've got health problems, all related to the fact that income inequality is a staggering problem for us. No, it, it's really quite shameful to me. And to me, it's also, it's a moral and ethical issue that we have some of the richest people in the world. We're one of the richest country. And yet the blame is being put on the most marginalized 
people in society and the poorest people of society. It's not just a matter of being able to pull yourself up by your bootstraps and you can pay off your debt. It is almost impossible once you fall into that debt to actually get out of it. Yeah, we've had a number of stories lately about uh, governments and advisors to governments expressing this sort of uh, concern about the increasing debt load that Canadians have. Well, I think to myself, if you haven't been able to negotiate a wage increase of, of any significance, where really powerful unions have been able to hold the line and not lose ground, a lot of people who aren't in powerful unions have lost ground, but if if the cost of living is going up and up and up and we're barely holding our own, well, why would we not be seeing a debt in, increase? Why would people who are struggling to find a home not have to go into debt I mean, how, how could that possibly make any sense? If the wages are not keeping pace with the cost of living or the wealth of the country, debt is going to be the result. Uh, health issues are going to be the result. Homeless is going to be the result. Uh, these things are all, unfortunately, rel- relatively predictable. And if governments do grapple with them, they tend to grapple with them too often as isolated, let's deal with this problem over here and then that problem over here. And fundamentally... Uh, the problem is the uh, maldistribution of income in our country. Well, I mean, I think the number one indicator of poor health is poverty. Yes. And there, you know, all of these issues are so intrinsically tied together. You know, we really do need to work on it on a national level. It's very easy to think, oh, we're in this alone in Nova Scotia. And I think a lot of blame, you know, oh, well, the Maritimes are have nots and they're a drain on society. Well, we, we actually are quite beneficial to the rest of the country and I think it's something that uh, yeah no it's just the trends right across the country it's happening from coast to coast and I think that's why I know that the premiers they all sit and talk to each other so that's why I'm so glad that our sister unions right across the country are sitting down to talk about how to push back and the, the the other components of the National Union that are your fellow components represent the exact same mixture of people that you do. We've got people who work in liquor stores and people who work in corrections and healthcare and social services and all of the multiplicity of jobs that your folks have. The 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 other components of the National Union have the same compl- uh, the same complexion of jobs. And yeah, there's a lot of we could probably hold a national meeting a week of a different kind of occupational specialties and we would be just scratching the surface because there are such similarities across the country, unfortunately. But uh, the the good part of it is that they are similar and and we can learn from each other, we can share our strengths and we can figure out if you guys make a move forward in Nova Scotia, like your huge victory around healthcare restructuring of a few years ago where you beat the government back, the rest of us can learn from that. And so we share our victories, we share our struggles and we share our strengths when it comes to dealing with those issues no it's it's pretty awesome i know i've sat on um i've gone to uh some national meetings uh with my counterparts with canadian blood services and i know (laughs) nupji's been involved uh sort of chairing um those meetings and i found it so useful to help me come back and sort of see what's going on with my counterparts across the country just and giving ideas going back to the local and it's even just nice sometimes knowing that you know you're not in it alone alone, or sometimes it's even oh well at least it's not that bad here yet but now (laughs) at least I can get prepared 
There's always some of that, yeah. We, uh, we have the problem, and I use the word problem uh, a bit facetiously, but, but we uh, have a very difficult time having an unsuccessful meeting because those things, you know, in any situation where uh, people are within their province and they get a chance to talk to people who are doing the same job from across the country, it's always such an eye-opener and so, so exciting but then we get pressure to have that meeting again. And meanwhile, we've got four, 500 other categories that we're trying to get to. So it's a, it's a nice problem to have, but it, they're, they're always successful for those very reasons, that it's uh, finding out that other people are sharing in the same issues, finding out that it isn't something that is unique to Nova Scotia, that other people may have solved it. I like your point that sometimes it's nice just to find out that it's worse elsewhere. Or even somebody st- else is going through. But well, it's also scary to find out something's yeah. worse because I, I really do, I feel like there is a shift in the country and frankly, politics in the world. It just does seem to be such an attack on unionized workers, on public services. It's It's scary. And I think there needs to be pushback. And I, I, I am feeling hopeful when I, you know, I, I am seeing some pushback. Mm-hmm. How do you? <laughs> no, I, I think uh, you've identified a really, uh, a, a very serious, profound question, which is uh, there are a lot of bad governments in the world right now. It's certainly not, not something that Canada owns. But we've got, there's a thing called the Overton's Window which says that at any given time, there's a kind of framework within which you can have debates. So that if you go too far this way, you're kind of on the, the goofy left side. And if you go too far this way, you're on the goofy right side. Well, what's considered acceptable debate has really shifted. That whole window has shifted far to the right. So we're now talking about stuff that 20 years ago would have been goofy on the right. And so that's, that is a big problem. And we've got three or four governments in Canada right now that are occupying the extreme right, the extreme right wing and, and basically being very pro-business and making no bones about the fact that they don't represent working people, they represent business interests. On the other hand, uh, around the world, there is increasingly a sense that people are, are that whole swing of what's called populism, I'm not sure that's a good term, that whole swing towards that kind of ultra-right uh, government is being met now increasingly around the world with really strong resistance because people are saying, well, we thought maybe you were giving us an, an, a sensible alternative, but what you've had to offer us is nothing more than more pain and more cuts and less, you know, less of, of the kind of quality of life that we want. So get out of our way. We want a government that's going to work for us. Yeah, and I think it's really important that you know, we are very lucky that we do have as many rights and as we do have, and we have the ability to elect a government and hold our politicians to account. I know I personally will actually go and I'll meet with my MLA Mm -hmm. or my MP. And I think more and more people need to do that. And actually, I think I think it says something, doesn't it, when you actually go and you speak to your politician who's representing you? Yes, and hold them accountable. I, I completely agree. But but one of the things I think that that gives you the ability to do that is the fact that you're part of a big, powerful collective bargaining organization. Oh, absolutely. And and you've got that backing. And uh, one of the things that I'm continually aware of these days is that unions are in a privileged position because we have that collective strength. We have the strength of each other. And we don't have to stand against these things by ourselves. We can stand with our, our fellow union members. And there's so many working people that are facing all the issues you and I have been talking about without that support. They're having to face it alone. And 
our job is to make sure that they they don't they're not made to stand out there by themselves that we work for them as well absolutely i think that's something that i think we as unions need to do is and i think it's something that unions traditionally have done is help all working people when i go and talk you know i i want to make life better for all working people i think you know there should be more unionized people but for those who for whatever reason aren't i think you know we need to we need to do better for all working people yeah, and, I, and you're right. That has been part of the culture of the Canadian union movement, which is one of the reasons I think that unions in other countries have been pushed back harder than we have, because they sometimes in other countries you can see where they lost that sense of responsibility to other people. We've always been supportive of women's groups, and uh, I shouldn't say we've got. I, I don't want to brag about it in the sense that we overclaim it, but we've always been connected with community uh, progressive organizations. And the unions that forget that and forget that sense of responsibility to making our communities better and our provinces better and our world better, I think they end up uh, paying for it in the long run because uh, they lose that sort of support and that strength. No, and I think it's, well, I think it's important because the government and people in power and employers do like to attack, oh, the union, the union, what is the union actually doing for you and the community, they're like drains, you know, (laughs) it costs so much money. But when you can actually show that, no, we're actually doing things for our community. And frankly, we are, we are the community. We are the community. We, We spend money. I mean, when you look at things like the fight for 15 or paying a decent wage, like the majority of people in rural communities, a lot of the good jobs are the unionized jobs. And Having a living wage, they're not going crazy, you know, going away oh, and spending no. the money elsewhere. They're spending that money in their community and yeah. they're helping keep that community go. Like I tend to shop at local, you know, I go to the local shop downtown Dartmouth and that's where I spend my money or I go to the coffee shop and I give a tip. Like it's it's having a decent wage is helping more than just me. It's helping me put that money back into my community. It's absolutely. And uh, I want to come back to your point about governments attacking us. But on that point, uh, if you look at the incredible concentrations of wealth in Canada, the people that have got the billions of dollars or the multi-millions of dollars, they're not contributing as much to the local economy as people who work in the economy and basically buying their goods here. You know, if you're wintering in Florida and you're jetting off to Europe to do the the sort of the, the circuit, you're not contributing to the local economy. And if you've got billions and billions of dollars, there's a limit to how many houses you can sensibly buy and a you know, if you've got three houses, that's kind of extreme anyway. You're not going to buy 10 more fridges. But if, you're, if you spread that wealth out with all of the people who work for the government, all of the unionized employees, there's a huge boost to the local economy. Because where do you spend your money exactly in the local economy? Presumably, you don't have a condo in Florida that you go to every winter. No. And so, <laughs> yeah, all of your, all of your uh, transactions are pretty much in your local, uh, in your local economy. But I want to come back to this point that governments uh, do push against unions, and everything we've talked about is related to that, because unions are the the most organized and strongest opponents to that kind of politics of the wealthy, politics of working for business only, the politics of austerity, the the politics of cutting to ordinary people. Unions are the the strongest part of the resistance to that. And so governments see that, and they say, well, if we, could, if we could weaken unions, if we could get unions out of the way, 
then our ability to implement this right-wing agenda would be that much stronger. No, absolutely. There really is power in the union. (laughs) (laughs) You know, you're going to go back to the old slogans. I've heard that slogan before, and it's true. Yeah, you're right. No, it's wonderful. And I just want to thank you so much for coming in and talking to us. I could talk to you for hours. It's been very, (laughs) me too. I've enjoyed this. Yeah, so it's wonderful. And we might have to try to get you back sometime the next time you swing through town and give us an update on things that that you're doing. And, but thank you for all the work that you do. Really appreciate it. And uh, it's important, I think, for people to know that, you know, there are people out there who are working for Nova Scotia and for our members, even if they're not actually living and working here. All right. Well, thank you for that. Thank you so much. All right. And so make sure that you subscribe to the podcast and tune in next time. And if you have any comments or ideas for upcoming episodes, make sure to get in touch with the communication staff or on the Facebook page.